Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lost Floors Church. I'm Chris. I am the pastor here, and I don't typically acknowledge people that are listening online, but this week I wanted to make an exception and say hello to my Aunt Marguerite in Florida. My parents are there visiting her, and they are forcing her to watch my sermon, yet she is Italian Catholic. So I wanted just to take a moment and let her feel comfortable. And if she wants to pause this, go ahead and you can confess all you want. I won't actually hear you, but you can do that. And, and as far as the Pope goes, we don't have a Pope. I'm not the Pope, but I'm sure he's a super nice guy. And purgatory. That was one of the other things I'm sure that you talk about in the Italian Catholic Church and today, as we talk about Joseph, I honestly think he experienced purgatory on earth, maybe not in the afterlife, but so I hope that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable this week as you listen to my sermon. And we're going to be talking about Abraham and his descendants, and today we're going to be focusing in again on Joseph. If you remember last week, we introduced Joseph as the favorite son, and if you remember, he got his multicolored robe, which was a little bit like wearing a crown around his brothers. He was kind of declared the prince of the family. And so his brothers plotted to kill him. They didn't, but they sold him into slavery, which in many ways is just as bad, right? So, so this kid goes from the favorite son of a pretty wealthy family to now he's a slave. And that's where we're going to pick up today, where Joseph went from big dreams to big problems. I, I mentioned last week we all have had big dreams. I remember my very first church that I pastored. It was many years ago, and it was this kind of an inner city church, and they were actually the only church that would even consider hiring me as a as a pastor. I was I was bivocational, which means I was working another full time job, and and I took over this this little church, and I had these dreams, these aspirations that before long I would be quitting my full time job, and I would be the pastor of this church, and it would grow into this giant mega church, and, and everything would be just right. But to be completely honest, it took several months, like maybe two or three months, before I realized our church wasn't going to grow. It was, it was all these dreams that I had, they didn't have. In fact, they didn't like anything that I wanted to change. They wanted to stay their little safe church. And so after just a few months of me dreaming and then having those dreams squashed, I quit as the pastor of that little church. And Joseph, I feel like was in those same situation, he had these big dreams and then man, they are squashed. He becomes a slave. And the thing is, is he couldn't quit. That's just where he was. He could have pouted. He could have cried. He could have blamed God. He could have blamed his brothers, but he didn't do any of those things. Joseph immediately rose to the top in Potiphar's house. And so he becomes the head of the slaves. And like I said last week, if you're going to be a slave, you might as well be the best slave, right? Today we're going to continue with the story of Joseph. But what I see in Joseph is I see three things. I see, first of all, he was a man that persevered. Uh, through some of the worst and most unfair situations in life, he persevered. He always worked hard. He, he, he rose to the top no matter what situation he was in. And the third thing is no matter what was happening, he clung to his God. And, and so before we dive back in and continue the story of Joseph, I want to actually cover chapter 38 because it kind of interrupts the story of Joseph. He gets sold into slavery. 
And then we have chapter 38. And then before we dive back into Joseph, chapter 38, just very quickly, some pretty weird things happen. But I think what is happening is here, they are reminding us of the line of Jesus because Jesus doesn't come through the line of Joseph. Although Joseph is this huge story in Genesis, he actually comes through Judah. And, and not just through Judah, but also Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar. Now, I know that sounds kind of odd, but, but Tamar actually married Judah's son, Er, terrible name, and he was a terrible person. In fact, he was such a terrible person that he couldn't have kids, and he ended up dying pretty young. And, and so in that day, they actually, that wife would get the next son. So the next son and Tamar get married, and he's not a very good person either. He doesn't actually want to have kids. I'll let you read the exact story because it's made for like bad television, not for Sunday morning because there's some pretty bad things. But uh, anyway, the next son dies too. And so Judah's like, I'm not going to give any more sons to this Tamar. So he tells her to go home and that he'll send the next son to her, but he never does, never intended to. Tamar figured this out. And so she basically shows up when she hears that Judah's around and she prostitutes herself to Judah without him knowing it's her. And Judah gets her pregnant. That's right. Father-in-law gets daughter-in-law pregnant. Kind of a, a terrible situation. When he finds out that she's pregnant, he doesn't know that he's the dad. He wants to have her killed. And then she reveals, no, actually, you are the father. And that is how the line of Jesus continues through Judah and Tamar. And I just want to point out here again, I, I believe these things are in here. And quite often in the church, we just kind of smooth those over and act like they aren't there. Uh, but the truth is, I look at this and go, this faith that we hold on to, this God that we hold on to, is just, is just full of grace. If Judah, if Tamar can, can be in this line that leads to our Savior, Jesus, man, it is just a grace-soaked faith. And I think that just reminds us of that. And now we're going to jump back into the story of Joseph. And I want to read to you from Genesis 39, 2 through 6. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal assistant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. This is really where we ended last week. Here Joseph goes from this big dreamer to having big problems. He's now a slave, but he immediately rises to the top, becomes the best slave possible. And again, God is with him. In other words, he's not complaining. He's not, he's not blaming God. He's literally hanging on to God. And he's trusting God, even in this situation, as a slave. The only kind of downside for Joseph was that he was just a really good-looking guy. That'd be terrible, right? And so here, this good-looking guy becomes the head of Potiphar's house. And really, the only 
negative thing here is Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph and is quite often trying to put the moves on him. And so as she's doing that, he is constantly turning her down, but she gets desperate. And, and in Genesis 39, 6 and 7, it says this, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Uh, eventually, one day, she forced himself, herself on him, and he let go of his coat because she was hanging on to it, and he ran to get away from her. And she's holding the cloak. And then she began to scream, and she told a lie about Joseph. Last week, I said it. Joseph was different. He was different than his brothers. He, they were murderers. They had all kinds of sexual misconduct. And, and here Joseph is, is holding to his values, even in, in this terrible situation. But life is just against the guy. At least that's what it's appeared. It's like life is unfair, right? In, in verses 19 and 20, this is what we find out. Potiphar was furious. When he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, so he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Wow. Here's Joseph, the big dreams, special guy. Now he, he goes from being the prince of the family to being a slave to rising to the top of the slaves, and now he is thrown in prison. It's as low as you could possibly go. And last week, I reminded us of Jeremiah 1.5, which I always kind of relate to Joseph, and I like it to relate to all of our lives, right? But it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. This idea that God knew us before we were born, that he had these, these plans for us. And you look at Joseph and you go, what? You set me apart and now I'm in prison? We can all feel that way sometimes. Uh, but imagine what prison would feel like in Egypt. Now, no one wants to go to prison, but going to prison in Egypt in those days would have been a terrible, terrible situation. But once again, uh, Joseph just has something about him, and he's always clinging to his God. And this is what Genesis 39, verse 21 through 23 says. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Obviously, there is something special about Joseph. He rises to the top as a slave, gets thrown into prison. What's he do? He rises to the top as a prisoner. Again, if you're going to be a prisoner, you might as well be the best prisoner, right? I mean, this, really, this is awesome. I mean, this is good stuff. And, and what I'd like to do is actually tie this to the New Testament, to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul says, whatever you do, work at it as though you're working for the Lord. I, I feel like Joseph is doing that without preaching it, without writing about it. He's just living it. 
Uh, thousands of years before Paul wrote this, he is living it out. I mean, this is, this is good. And, and then you go to chapter 40. And in chapter 40, a, a couple new prisoners are introduced to us. It's the cupbearer, uh, the, the, basically the guy that holds the, the Pharaoh's wine. <laughs> He's the cupbearer. And he gets thrown in prison. He made Pharaoh upset. And then the baker also made him upset, must have made a bad pastry, and he ends up in prison with the cupbearer. And they're both pretty distraught, but one night they have a dream. Each of them has a dream, and they wake up, and they're, they're bothered. And Joseph asked them, what, what's the problem? You don't seem yourselves. And you remember Joseph's in charge of them. And they said, well, we had dreams. And Joseph goes, you know what? Tell me your dreams, because I can actually take these to God and interpret them. Here's what it says. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead, tell me your dreams. And so now we have the cupbearer. The cupbearer tells him, you know, I, I had this dream and there's all these, these grapevines and these great clusters and there's three different branches with these big healthy grapes on them. And I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup and I was squeezing the grapes into Pharaoh's and Joseph looks at it, and he interprets it with this really good news. Guess what? In three days, you're going to end up being the cupbearer again. And this is what Joseph says to the cupbearer, almost in this desperation. And please, remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh, so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So here Joseph in this plea says, okay, I've done this. I have interpreted this dream. Please tell the Pharaoh about me. I, I need someone to get me out of here. But then the story goes on and the baker hears this positive report and he goes, hey, hey, Joseph, hey, remember my dream too. So he tells him about his dream. He's got these three baskets of yummy pastries stacked on his head and the birds come and they start eating the pastries out of the top basket. Sounds innocent enough. Uh, the bad news is Joseph says, well, actually, sorry about this, but you're going to be impaled and the birds are going to come and eat your flesh. <laughs> that doesn't sound very encouraging. So you got the good news of the cupbearer and the bad news of the baker. So three days later, it happens to be Pharaoh's birthday. He calls both the cupbearer and the baker and he restores the cupbearer to his position, and unfortunately, he does kill the baker. And so it all comes true. Now, the bad news is, says Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph and never giving him another thought. So Joseph, he's now 28 years old. If you remember at the beginning of this, all this, he was 17. 11 years 11 years of slavery in prison. Imagine that to a 17-year-old, now 28-year-old. That's, that's your life. That is so much of your life gone. And, and here Joseph is still stuck in prison. At the beginning of chapter 41, it says, Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. So two more years. Now, Joseph's 30. 13 years he has spent as a slave and in prison. But now Pharaoh has a dream. 
He actually has two dreams. The, the first dream, there's seven fat, healthy cows and there's seven skinny cows. And, and these skinny cows come up out of the riverbank and they eat the fat, healthy cows. Uh, the second dream, there's seven beautiful, plump heads of grain and there's seven very unhealthy ones and the seven unhealthy eat the healthy. Pharaoh's like very confused and disturbed by his dream. And he brings in all the magicians, all the wise men, and they're all baffled by the dream. They can't really tell him what his dream was. And then finally, two years after, you remember Joseph pleaded with the cupbearer, tell the Pharaoh about me, remember me. And he forgot all about it. Two years later, he goes, oh yeah, there was Joseph, that guy in prison that told me about my dream. So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Here's what it says in verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, and he asks Joseph to interpret it. And, and I love what Joseph says. He says, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means. Again, Joseph is always clinging to God, pointing people to God. Uh, but Joseph reveals to Pharaoh the meaning of his dreams, that they're going to have seven beautiful years, the fat, plump, healthy cows, the, flat, the fat, plump, healthy grain. Those are seven bountiful years. They're going to get plenty of food because the rains are going to be plentiful, but then it's going to be followed by seven years of drought. And basically, God was warning Pharaoh through Joseph that, hey, you need to prepare for these seven bad years. And so Joseph, after telling the dream, Pharaoh looks at him and goes, what do we need to do? So here this guy is that was a slave and a prisoner, and he's pulled out of prison, interprets the dreams, and the king, Pharaoh, is actually asking Joseph, what do we need to do? And so Joseph lays out a plan for him. And says, you need to put someone in charge of all the grain. And so as people produce grain, they need to bring a percentage of it, and you need to store it. For seven years, you gather as much grain, as much food as possible, so that when you get to those seven years, people have plenty, and people aren't starving, and you're not in a bad situation. And so he spills this out. And, and here's what verses 37 through 41 say. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Just stop for a moment and take this in. You remember this all started with Joseph's dreams. And because of his dreams, his brothers hated him. You remember what his dreams were? His brothers were bowing down to him. You remember the the, the bundles of grain were bowing to Joseph. And then the next dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars were bowing to Joseph. And it was this idea he was going to be the king. He was going to reign over his own family. And here we go, here it is. 
through the most unlikely circumstances. And yet, uh, what I point to in this, even Pharaoh goes, obviously, this man is filled with the Spirit of God. There's something different about him. And as we look at Joseph's story, we go, man, this is a guy that just perseveres. 13 years of slavery and prison, he persevered. In every situation, he rose to the top until he became second in command. And every step of the way, he's clinging to God. God is with him every step of the way. And just to remind you what Paul said in Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for God, not, not people, but you're working for God. Work, do whatever you do, do it well. And I look back at that little church that I had all these dreams for, and then I quit. And, and honestly, at that point, I was like, I, I'm just going to work. I, I, this pastoring thing just seems crazy. Like, like it's never going to happen. But after a couple years, I began to get that that feeling again, that itch that, that I needed to to go into pastoring. And and so I I contacted someone with the Church of the Nazarene and, and I started asking them if I could fill the pulpit somewhere or if you had any little churches that were open, I would love to do it. And I didn't hear anything back for months on end. And, and honestly, I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then out of the blue one day, it's a Wednesday, uh, the the superintendent of the Kansas district asked, called and asked if I'd be willing that Sunday, just a few days away, to fill the pulpit in Salina, Kansas, about two hours from our home. And I was quick to say, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. And he said, it's a pretty small church. They're, they're struggling. But, but yeah, they, they'd, be, they'd love to have you. So I load up that Sunday, all seven of us, Lisa and I and our five kids, and we drive to Salina, Kansas. What I didn't know is that I would literally double the size of that congregation the first day I showed up. And, and the reason I say that is because we brought seven and there was seven people there. <laughs> that was the whole church, seven. And they, they had this nice sanctuary, but they didn't meet in there because it was too big and they felt bad. And so they met in a little Sunday school classroom in the church. And here comes all our kids. We doubled the size and they're excited to have us. And, and after that first week, they asked us to come back the next week and the next week. And these people were so excited to have us. They were excited about what was happening. They, they wanted their little church to grow. And it began to renew in me and, and our families this excitement of, of working in the church, of pastoring. And I jokingly say we doubled the size of the church in day one. But the most amazing thing happened. We started there in October. And by Easter of that next year, it was 2008, I believe, and then by 2009, uh, on Easter, we had 77 people on Easter. And that doesn't sound like many people at an Easter service. But in all reality, we went from 7 to 77. It, I'm just going to tell you, it seemed monstrous. And God just flooded us with encouragement. And that, it was like God at just the right time put this this situation that didn't seem huge to anybody else, but to me it was this this confirmation from God to continue to persevere, continue to work hard, even if it's two different jobs, even if you have to drive two hours from your home. You keep doing it and just see what happens. We all have dreams. We all have these ambitions, and then life happens. We get knocked down. We get derailed. 
but perseverance. I, I believe I believe God allows us to go through these times that we have to persevere because it helps us to grow in our relationship with him. And I, I believe God calls us to, to work hard, to rise to the top in every situation, just like Joseph did. And more than anything, no matter what's going on, this idea of just clinging to God. Joseph did in prison. He, he did as a slave. And he did when he was the second in command. He clung to God, even to Pharaoh, the fact that the Spirit of God was evident in him. What a testimony. And, and I just want to leave us with this thought that no matter what we do, work at it with all our heart, as though we are working for the Lord.